second Bible reading today is taken from Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16, and that's page 656. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I was born in August of 1977, and actually what happened is my biological mother underwent a saline infusion abortion, and this abortion took place over five days, and the intent, of course, was to end my life. But the important thing for me in that is that the doctors and nurses stepped in and did what they were called to do, which was to provide me with medical care that has allowed me to live the life that I have. Sadly for me, in visiting Australia, I've learned that children aren't afforded that same opportunity. We know in Victoria there are children like me who are aborted each day and survive like I did. But none of them are alive to tell their story because all of them have been left to die. One of the amendments was to make it clear that once a baby who was uh, aborted is born alive, that all medical personnel have a duty of care to that baby. That was rejected by a majority of members here. I think the Victorian public knew very little about what was going on in here and what uh, law was actually passed in the end. If they had known, I think people would be pretty upset. My view is that the bill will um, will pass. There may be a amend- though I imagine, of course, there'll be a variety of amendments. There may be a amend- though I imagine, of course, there'll be a variety of amendments.
it's hard to imagine a worse bill and a worse model. And indeed, that was partly why it was uh, passed here, to be a model for other jurisdictions. It's very extreme, and uh, I think it is probably the worst in the Western world. Okay, well, let me pray and I'll speak a bit about that video. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us life. Uh, Help us to think and honour life and see the sanctity of life as it deserves. Uh, Please help us to be sensitive on this issue. Uh, Help us to be uh, people who think rightly about this issue. And we pray, Lord, that you might help us, us with that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so today we'll be considering the topic of bioethics. Now, bioethics is a huge area of discussion. So it covers topics from abortion to stem cell research to um, uh, euthanasia, anything to do with embryos, uh, anything about life, health, and death. That's under the broad umbrella of bioethics. So today what we'll be focusing on is an area of bioethics, and that is the topic of abortion. We tried to think, what's the Christian approach? How are we to view abortion as Christians, as followers of Jesus? And so I'll show you that video. There's a longer video online if you want to see that. It's actually quite distressing when you watch it, so be careful if you do want to watch it. Um, But what's the current state of affairs on the abortion law in Victoria? Well, the video you just watched showed that in 2008, abortion in Victoria was decriminalized. And so what that means is that you can have an abortion legally. It is legal to have a baby killed inside the womb. And so if that happens, the mother won't go to jail and the doctors won't go to jail. So it was decriminalized. And so abortion is is, uh, possible up to 24 weeks of pregnancy, 24 weeks. So at that stage... If you've looked into this or if you've been pregnant, 24 weeks, the baby is pretty much formed. Organs are there, everything's there, it's just small. Okay, up to 24 weeks, you can have an abortion on request, regardless of reason. That is our law. Regardless of reason. If the mother decides, um, uh, I don't don't feel like motherhood yet, well, she can have an abortion. If mother just doesn't feel right about it or was forced to do it, she can have an abortion. doesn't matter what reason. Okay, it doesn't have to be birth defect or anything. And so I've actually already seen the impact of this law in Victoria. So just last year, one of my friends, uh, quite, quite distressing, uh, a friend, a close friend of mine, she had, um, my friend's wife, in fact, she had an abortion, even though I urged him, don't do it. It is taking off, the taking of life. But it just showed me how easy it is in Victoria to have an abortion. You can just go to these family planning clinics Planning clinics. Okay, there's one in Monash. There's one all over the place. You pay your couple hundred dollars and you can have an abortion. But but what what just distressed me was that there was nothing at all wrong with the child. The obstetrician checked it. There's nothing wrong at all. But it shows you how easy it is. Up to 24 weeks on request, you can have an abortion in Victoria. After 24 weeks, you can still have an abortion. 24 weeks up to birth, up to nine months, you can have an abortion if two doctors consent to it, and there are several reasons that they have to meet. But imagine that. Up to nine months, you can still have an abortion. 
And so what this means for Victoria is that Victoria, in fact, has the most lax abortion law in, in Australia and, in fact, in the Western world. And as a result of that, in Victoria, 20,000 babies, about 20,000 babies are killed every year by abortion. 20,000. Now, I don't, I'm not sure if that number sounds staggering to you, but in the suburb of Surrey Hills, the population is 13,000, a bit over 13,000. It's like a suburb killed each year by abortion. Shocking, isn't it? So in that video we saw in 2008 there were efforts to amend these laws to sort of mitigate its impact. And so there were these, these there's, there were a lot of amendments, but all of them were turned down by the parliament. So I'll just list them again. So the amendment included banning late-term and partial birth abortions. That was turned down. Partial birth abortion, I won't be too graphic, but um, what it involves is really partially giving birth but then killing the child on the way out. It's quite graphic. Um, Another amendment, women are to be provided support and counselling. Women given information on, on health risk. Healthcare workers are allowed the right to not participate in abortion or refer to, for abortion. Uh, next, abortionists are to administer pain relief to unborn ch- child. That was turned down. And, and the crazy thing is animals are given pain relief in, in, in um, testings and scientific testing, but not, not a human baby. And finally... Protect the life of a child born alive after abortion. So there's no amendment to protect failed abortions. And so all of those were in fact turned down. I found this quite shocking when I did a bit of research. Just very shocking. And so this is the current state of affairs of abortion law in in Victoria. Just Victoria. So I want us to think about this today. It's quite hard. It, It actually hurts our heart, doesn't it? And I suspect for many of us, this idea of legalizing the intentional killing of a helpless baby just seems so ruthless, so, so brutal. But yet there are people who are for it. And so today I want us to think, why are people for it? What reasons do they have? Are they justifiable reasons? I mean, they have reasons and they're very powerful in a sense. And they, in a sense, won in the state of Victoria. But what reasons do they have? And so today what I want us to think about is, remember how we've been talking about the, the moral framework that we have to work from. So from a, a secular perspective, how do, I, do they approach this topic? What do they appeal to? Well, they could appeal to rights. What is my right? They could appeal to values or rules and codes or what the results are. And so... In abortion, in the issue of abortion, what do they appeal to here? So when they talk about rights, they're talking about, it is my right to do with my life as I see fit. This is something growing inside me, and no one has the right to tell me what to do. And so that's their approach, and that's why the, the group is called pro-choice. Okay, It's their choice. No one has the right to uh, influence their choice. Or the, the other approach, how how those who are for abortion, well, they think about values. And it's the value of compassion. And so they would appeal to this and say, isn't it more compassionate to kill a child 
who you know will have not a full life in that a child might have some birth defect. And so they will appeal to this. Or they might appeal to results. And that is the, the quality of life of a mother must outweigh the possibility of keeping alive a child with birth defects or even without birth defects. If it affects the quality of life of a mother, then that's worth doing. And of course, rules, well, it was illegal up until 2008. And now it's legal in, in the state of Victoria. And so I want, I want you to think about this. This is the reasoning. This is how they reason for it. Is it reasonable? Does it justify abortion, intentional killing? What do you think? What's the Christian approach? How can we approach this? How can we actually defend what we think is right and true? Well, you see, from our perspective, we have the Christian moral framework that I've been trying to show you over the last several weeks. And that is the framework that we'll be applying again today to this issue. So from the Christian moral framework, we see that what is right and good and moral doesn't actually depend on what I think is my right. What is good and right and moral does not depend on what I think compassion looks like. What is right and good and moral does not depend, is not based on the quality of life of the mother. Rather, what is right and good and moral is dependent on God's perspective, the biblical perspective. And that is something that's universal and applies to all. And so what we'll be doing now is we'll be considering these categories, but from the Christian perspective, applying that moral framework to abortion and to see why we can defend what we think is right and true. So firstly, the idea of rights. That in fact comes from the Christian concept of a moral good in creation. Okay, There's a moral good in creation. God has stitched into the fabric of creation something that is morally good and right. And it's good and right for all people everywhere. Not just Christians because God is the creator. This is right and good for all people everywhere. And part of this moral good in creation is that human life is important. Human life is sacred. And that's because human life, all human beings, are made in the image of God. When God created the universe, he did not make the dogs down the road in the image of God. He did not make the cats down the road in the image of God. Some of these animals are for food, but they were not made in the image of God. It's only humans. And so we read in Genesis chapter 1. We read this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, humans are the only creatures made in the image of God, created in the image of God. And that makes sense of this world if you think about it. Because in this world, it is the humans who are ruling the world. That is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. You see, as intelligent as dolphins are, as intelligent as elephants are, they are not ruling the world. It is the humans, because we were made to rule this world under God. But as humans, it is also us who are the ones who are to reflect the character of God to this world. You see, it's expected that humans are to be generous, to be merciful, to be just, to be compassionate. These are things we don't expect of dogs. 
We don't expect cats to be compassionate. We don't expect rats to be merciful. We don't expect donkeys to be just. It is humans who are to reflect the character of God. This is part of what it means to be created in the image of God. And so what this then means is that human life is sacred. Every human life is sacred. And so the child born with Down syndrome is sacred, important to God, made in the image of God. The person who has a mental disability is important, made in the image of God. The old, the dying, they are important, made in the image of God. And of course, the unborn child in the womb is made in the image of God, important and sacred. And it's this belief from the Christian worldview that life is important because everyone bears the image of God. And this is why Christians have done so much of what they did throughout history, such as establishing orphanages. You see, in the ancient world, children were not very much valued. Often they were left to die, especially if they were of the wrong gender. They were sold off as slaves as well. But you see, for to a Christian, children, young or old, they are made in the image of God. It's Christians who set up orphanages, even pushing for universal education, not just uh, leaving education for their elite, but for all people. We want all people to be taught, to be literate, so that they can read the Bible. You see, it's because all people, poor, young, old, are all made in the image of God. And it's based on this understanding that Christians work to establish the modern-day form of hospitals. The ill, the sick, made in the image of God. We are to care for them. And also, of course, things like Amnesty International, set up by a Christian, because of the value we place on human life. And so if life is sacred, life made in the image of God, then it's no one's right. No one's right at all to take the life of another person especially one that is so vulnerable, one that can't protect him or herself. But, of course, the difficulty when we talk about abortion is, do you consider the fetus or the embryo inside the womb, do you consider that, that person thing, that, that thing growing inside, a person? Do you consider that a human being? Of course, there are different views on this, and that's why people can try to justify that You're not killing a human being. You're not killing a person. It's just a blob of cells. So how are we to think of this as Christians? Well, there are many views on this. I'll I'll outline a few of them. Firstly, some people have a view that in the first two weeks, about the 14, 15-day mark, in the first two weeks, the cells haven't actually uh, developed into a specific form of organ. They're sort of like what they call the stem cell stage. I got a doctor nodding, so okay, that's good. <laughs> so they're sort of the stem cell stage, which means that they haven't been sort of like uh, they're not starting to form into a specific organ. And so these people will claim, well, in that first two weeks, that 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 thing there is not a person, not a human being, because it can these cells are not even specific organs. And so these people would then be able to try to justify st- embryonic stem cell research. You know, extracting these stem cells for research, uh, these people would justify the day after pill. Have you heard of that? RU486, I think it's called. And our government, I think it might be on the PBS. Not yet, maybe. Some will know. 
You see, so these people would justify the day after people. That's okay because that thing growing, even though it's, uh, it's conceived, it's, uh, it's not yet a human being. So that's one view. Another view is that the fetus is only a person once it has consciousness. So once it's able to start to think and choose, before that, it's not, it's not a person. It's just an extension of the mother's body. Another view is that the fetus is only a human being, a person after birth. Before that, it's not considered a human being. Okay, that's another view. But what's the Bible's view? How are we to think of this? Well, from the biblical perspective, life begins at conception. Life begins at conception when the egg and the sperm, when they are fertilized, that is when life begins. Though in the first few weeks, it doesn't look like human. In fact, babies throughout, when you look at the ultrasound, I mean, ultrasound, you're very happy as parents. I've seen it many times. You're very happy, but honestly, they look like aliens. They don't really look like humans. Okay, They're just a bit funny looking. But even in the first few stages, when they're just a blob of cell, those cells are human in kind. They are not dog in kind. They are not cat in kind. They are humankind. And so life begins at conception. And so the Christian view will be that from conception onward, that, that thing growing inside is a little human being, a little person. It's got all the genetic code to develop into one day an adult human being. It's human in kind. It's human. It's a person. Uh, we, the Bible doesn't really talk much about this, but we do get this hint from Psalm 139. So Psalm 139. David says to God, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So even while David was growing inside his mother, he can see that that is God working. And so if God is working there, putting these cells together, growing this little child, to tamper with God's work at that stage is, from the biblical perspective, wrong. You see, to take life at any stage after conception is nothing less than taking life. So the day after pill is a no-no for Christians. I mean, when, when newlyweds, when they get married, they have to think about contraception. Well, that, that is a no-no. It's a day after pill. It's actually to kill a fertilized egg. So that is thinking about this moral framework from creation, from the moral order in creation. Now, what about God? Uh, what about next values? So, the push from abor- uh, those who are for abortion is that they value compassion. But you see, what what values we should value are the values, are the virtues that reflect the character of God. So, this is what we should be considering: those values and virtues that reflect the character of God. And so, compassion. It is a good thing, isn't it, to be compassionate? That's a good virtue. God is compassionate. But what does it look like to be compassionate? And so let me ask you this question. Is it really compassionate to put to death a living thing because of some reason? Is that really compassionate? How virtuous is that to put to death a living thing, a living person? Now, this this is a real issue, and it's an issue that I'm sure many of you will one day have to consider, will have to come across So if you plan to get married, if you're already married, if you plan on having children, and when God in his goodness 
grants you um, a, a, a pregnant wife because of you somehow, um, if you do get pregnant under God's mercy, at 12 weeks' time, you can actually have this scan. I don't know the technical word, but the scan, you have an ultrasound scan and you get a blood test. And what they do is they put these um, results together and they give you the risk of this baby growing inside you, the risk of that child having Down syndrome at 12 weeks' time. Okay, so you can do that test. And if there is a high risk, they don't know for certain, they give you a probability. If it's a high risk, there is the option of an abortion. And so that's a decision that many of us will have to face one day. Do you abort the child because there's a high risk that this child has abortion? Is that the compassionate thing to do? Or is something else compassionate? And so from this moral framework, we can actually learn something from the character of God. You see, the God of the Bible is not only compassionate. He loves and cares for the weak, for the poor, for the needy. He protects those who can't protect themselves. That is God's character. And so what would it look like to reflect God's character in thinking about abortion? To encourage abortion? Or would it be more compassionate to, to not encourage abortion, but to uh, protect this little baby's life, to make sure that this baby has a chance of life, that this child is loved and cared in all possible ways? I'm sure you can see that that is certainly the more compassionate thing because that reflects God's character of caring and loving and protecting the weak and those who can't protect themselves. Because you see, the child, even the child with Down syndrome, they are made in the image of God. Life is sacred. All human life is sacred. Okay, next. Rules, codes. Now, in the Bible, there are commands. There are commands that we can work off that that can form our understanding of how to approach abortion. Now, of course, in Victoria, our state has already legalized it. But what are we Christians to make of it? Well, the Bible does give us clear guidelines, and that comes from one of the Ten Commandments, the Sixth Commandment, you shall not murder. Now, it might sound harsh, doesn't it, to call this murder. But if we agree that after conception, that thing growing inside is a human being, a person, then to take that person's life is murder. And this law trumps the law of our land. Okay, This law trumps the law of our land. And so we Christians, we live by this law, not the law of the state, even though it's legal. But the flip side of this, to not kill, is to love. To love. We are to love. We are to do all we can in loving these helpless babies to ensure that they have a chance to be loved, to be cared for, to be protected, and a chance for life. Okay, what about results? Well, from the Christian perspective, the results are actually further into the future. So we're thinking about further into the future. Now, those who are for abortion, well, they think that death of a child is the better result than having an unwanted pregnancy. They think that death of a child is the better result than having a, a, a lady, a woman, who is non-committal, who's not committed to the child. Or a woman who thinks, I'm just not ready for motherhood. 
or a, a, a woman who thinks I can't be a good mother. So this assumption is to think that death is the better result. But is death really the better result? Is it really the better result? Is the quality of life of the mother more important? Does that trump the life of the child? Well, from the Christian perspective, seeing abortion as the solution is not only wrong, as we've already seen, because it's the taking of life, but it's also very short-sighted. You see, in abortion, there are huge numbers of negative consequences which we might not be aware of. So let me share some of those with you. In abortion, we often neglect to see the physical pain, the physical consequences, the psychological consequences, the emotional consequences of the woman who has to undergo abortion. I mean, there are long-term consequences for her. And if she, for example, is one who believes in God, just imagine the guilt and shame that this person will have to live with for the rest of her life the horror that she has to live with. So there are other consequences. In abortion, another one, we probably don't recognize that if we uphold the right of women to choose, what actually results in abortion is that it's the female babies that are killed. Isn't that ironic? We uphold the right of women to choose. The babies that are more often killed are the female babies. And this is something we see in India, in China. In China, with the, when the one-child policy was, was, became law, the, the abortions were mostly of female babies because in those cultures, they saw male, male babies as more, more important. What we also don't see in abortion is, I'm not sure if you know much about this, but the techniques, the medical techniques that they use in abortion. I did a bit of research. It's brutal. It is extremely horrific. Just can't imagine that doctors could do that. Really can't imagine that doctors could do that. I won't give you the details, but if you want to search on it, you can find it easily. It's very brutal because, after all, you're killing a living thing. And what we also don't recognize and forget to see is that even though some people are born with some disability, Down syndrome or whatever else it might be, they can still live a happy life. They can still live a happy life. So several years ago when I was living in Parramatta, when I was still studying at Bible College, there was a family. Uh, they were a year below us, but we lived in the same complex. They had a daughter with Down syndrome, and they lived a happy life. That daughter was full of life. And so to, to assume that it's better for a child with Down syndrome to die than to live, well, that is very short-sighted. And it's also wrong. And I've got an example here of this person, Gianna Jessen. Now, her story is truly amazing when you read of it and when you hear of it. She was born in 1977. She was born with cerebral palsy. That happened because there was not a, enough oxygen to her brain at birth. Doctors thought that she would never walk. She would never be able to lift up her head, that she... Doctors thought that she would be blind, but she was able to do all that, able to see, walk, and so forth. Walk with a limp, but walk nonetheless. She, in fact, completed some marathons around the world. But what's more remarkable about her story was that at 12 years of age, she discovered from her adopted mother that she was an abortion survivor, just like in that clip we saw earlier. 
You see, her biological mother, when her biological mother was seven and a half months pregnant, decided to have an abortion. And so how this abortion work was they soak the baby, the fetus inside the womb in this saline solution, which was meant to burn the baby. And so she was soaked in that for 18 hours. And after that, she was uh, given birth. And she, uh, she was brought into this world. They assumed that she would be dead. That's what usually happens in abortion. But she was still alive, kicking. The abortionist wasn't around. If he was around, he would have just killed her. But the nurse was there, and she took her life and saved her. She grew up living a happy life, and she's still alive now. She, in fact, came in 2008 to Victoria, to our parliament, to speak about this topic. But what's even more remarkable is that she, in fact, became a Christian at a young age from her adopted mother because of her adopted mother. And now she actually travels around telling people about Jesus. So I just want to say that you know, having disability does not mean a sad life. You can live quite a full life, a happy life, especially if you know the Lord Jesus. And so she lives in hope of the future. And so from the Christian perspective, when we're thinking about the results, well, we need to remember abortion is not just wrong, it's actually very short-sighted. Because from our Christian perspective, we see that death is not the end of all things. There is something after death, you see. So after death, everyone will have to face God. We all stand before God and are judged by God. So the abortionists will have to give account for all that they have done. Mothers have decided, have to give account. But yet there's a future that Jesus speaks of. The forgiveness that he offers now, that we might enjoy heaven with him, that is also on view. And so there is this heaven, this hope that is on offer now. So to think that death is the end is actually short-sighted. And so this, this lady here, she knows the Lord, and so she's got this life full of life, full of joy, because she knows that her eternity, without cerebral palsy, will be with the Lord. Finally, part of our moral framework, which we need to consider when we can confront any ethical issue, is this middle one. And this is the Jesus-shaped community. As Christians, we are to live in a community that is shaped by Jesus. As people who ourselves have experienced love and grace and mercy mercy from God, we are to be a community of love and mercy and grace. And so I'm going to give you three quick scenarios now, and I want you to think about what a loving community that is shaped by Jesus would do. Okay, so three quick scenarios. If someone in a church... Just say our church. Let's hope this will never happen. But just say our church. Someone, uh, a, a, a girl, falls into temptation. Uh, falls into temptation, becomes pregnant, and no one wants a baby. It's an unwanted pregnancy. What does a Jesus-shaped community do in a situation like that? A person in a church. What do we do? Encourage to have an abortion? Well, Jesus-shaped community would rather be like this. Support her, encourage her through the pregnancy. Uphold, protect the life of the child. Protect her through the pregnancy and also after pregnancy to help her with the child, with the raising of the child, but also to help her see the joy of motherhood, that this is a good thing. Though it came from bad situations, this is a good thing. You don't kill thinking that that's the better result. 
But what about this situation? If someone, you know, this is quite a possibility, receives the news from the doctor that there's a high risk that that child inside her will have Down syndrome. What does a Jesus-shaped community do? Do we encourage abortion or do we help her prepare for that birth, prepare all the way throughout the pregnancy to give her all the love and support that is possible and to even help in the raising of that child? That's a Jesus-shaped community, isn't it? Helping, loving, reflecting the character of God. Or another situation, another scenario. Just say, in church, I'm hoping and praying that this will never happen, but it's a reality in some churches. Someone has, in fact, gone through an abortion. Someone has, in fact, gone through an abortion. What does a Jesus-shaped community do? Do we say and point fingers, that is evil. You stay away. We shun that person, close the door on that person, and have nothing to do with that person. Is that a Jesus-shaped community? I suspect not. A Jesus-shaped community is one that will help her mourn, help her grieve, help her recognize her fault, help her to look towards Jesus and find forgiveness in him because forgiveness is bigger than all those things. Comfort her and support her through the grieving and healing process. That's a Jesus-shaped community, isn't it? And so a Jesus-shaped community, which is what we aim to live, the life we aim to live as uh, together, is one that reflects God's character to our, to each other and to our world. Okay, so I hope you see here, this is the moral framework. And so from this, on this topic, we can see that Christians, we are not for abortion because it is the taking of a sacred life, a life, a human being made in the image of God. But we also see from this framework how we are to respond, how we are to act in light of it. Now, this framework as we've been talking over the last couple of weeks, I'm hoping it will be something that will be helpful for you. When you come across some moral issue, some ethical decision, to think it through these frameworks, not just to think about my rights or the rules or the values or the results, but think in terms of these biblical categories. And so now, just very briefly, how do we, just this is sort of like a lesson now to help you use this, how do you apply this to something like euthanasia? Okay, so let me quickly go through this with you. What do you do? So are Christians, should we be for euthanasia or not? In Australia at the moment, it's not legal, but there were debates last month in New South Wales in their parliament to push for it. There are people for it, there are people against. How are we Christians to think about this? Well, it's part of the realm of bioethics, and so it's quite similar. So what are we to do? Well, we are to think about what's the moral order in creation? What is the good that God has established in creation? And that is the same as abortion. Human life is sacred. Old, young, frail, dying, they are sacred, made in the image of God. And then we think about the character of God. What do we learn about the character of God in how we are to act? Well, well, we are to be loving. We are to care. We are to protect, especially those who are weak and can't protect themselves. What do we learn from the commands? Well, from the Bible's perspective, we shall not kill. And we shall love. What do we learn from the new future? Well, from the new future, this gives us a perspective that a non-Christian does not have. And that's why we have the view that we have. You see, death does not end it. So the push from euthanasia is that 
Why let a person go on suffering in the pain and agony when they could just die? Well, that is short-sighted because death is not the end. In fact, there is greater suffering for those who are not in Christ because there's a judgment day to come. But yet there is greater life, a life in heaven with God for those who believe. So that's the future perspective that we have. Euthanasia does not end all suffering, especially for those who, who don't believe in Jesus. And what about the Jesus-shaped community? Well, we learn how to make every effort to love, to care, to be compassionate to those who are dying, to give them dignity in their dying days. We don't give them dignity by killing them. We give them dignity by being with them, caring for them, loving them, saying, even though you can't do anything, your life is worthy. You are important because you are made in the image of God. That is a Jesus-shaped community. So from this moral framework, which we need to consider as a whole when we approach any ethical, moral issue, we can see that Christians were not for euthanasia. It's dressed in the language of mercy killing. Well, for one, it's not being merciful. And secondly, it is, in fact, killing. That is what you're doing. Okay, so that's a quick one, thinking about euthanasia. But now I'll leave you with that framework for you to work with. And let me give you a few to think about whenever you have a time. After this service tonight, during the week, think about applying this to something like IVF. How do we approach that as Christians, thinking about all these categories? IVF. Is it okay for Christians? What are the boundaries for Christians? Okay? I want you to think about this, using this framework, thinking about stem cell research. Now, there's all sorts of different stem cell research, but embryonic stem cell research. How are Christians to approach that? I want you to apply this to other things, outside bioethics, the environment. How are we, are we to be greenies? Is that what we're meant to be as Christians? What's the moral category? How does, how does this help us think about that? Another one, this would be quite applicable. Dating non-Christians. How do we think about that as a moral issue from this biblical framework? Okay, so this is for you. And now just finally I'll leave us with these words, and that is, as Christians, we are to be thinkers. We are to use our brains. God has given us our brains for a reason. But our brains, our thinking, our reasoning, what our beliefs are, are to be founded on the word of God, and that's what we've been trying to do. So let me encourage us to be Christian thinkers who base our thinking on the word of God. Let's pray.